Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hello, visitors. Um, thank you all for coming this morning. Um, so a couple announcements. Uh, football players and um, watchers. Spectators. <laughs> um, the game will be going on as planned, regardless of weather. So bundle up, bring your brain poncho. Um, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, I know, we can splash and puddles afterwards. Um, again, uh, so the game starts at 5.30, coaches arrive at 5, players at 5.15. Um, if you've seen on, what is it, the hall, what is it called? Hall of a Lot of Fun. So on October 31st, um, opposite trick or treat time, we will have uh, our, what is normally like our fall festival, is going to be in the hallway, it's called Hall of a Lot of Fun. Um, so it'll be candy and prizes and more candy. Yeah, all lots of good. All right. And if I don't think there's any more announcements, am I missing anything? Nobody? All right. Mr. Michael Brister, will you open us up in prayer, please? Father God, we want to thank you for this time we come together and worship you and learn more about you, God, as you bring us to our service as we come as we continue to worship you and continue as we go to the kids. Dedication that's going to take place, God. I ask that you bless that and bless the family. And uh, Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you'd like to stand and sing with us, we have an oldie but a goodie. And then the next one after this is a new one, but I'm sure you've all heard it.
Not everybody who lives in our day understands the concept of baby dedication. Not everybody who worships God in the church understands the concept of baby dedication. Baby dedication is not about making a baby into something that a baby wasn't yesterday. It's not about making a baby holy. It's not about making a baby clean or anything like that. Babies are innocent and clean and perfect in God's eyes already. That's already been done. I know that people are born into original sin, but there is an age of innocence in which these babies that we dedicate to God exist. Parenting is the problem, really. For those of you who are parents who have had experience with small children, you realize that parenting is the difficult part. Parenting is the part you got to kind of figure out as you go along, especially when it's your first child. you got to say, how on earth am I supposed to do this? In the middle of the night, when you're tired, when the baby's crying, it won't stop, and you can't figure out why, you've been down your checklist, you passed your limit. Parenting is the trouble, the difficulty, if you will. And that's what, really what baby dedication is about. Scripture doesn't define this as just like, is the baby dedicated or is the baby not dedicated? There are sort of like parameters. When I was younger, we used to play night ball tag in our yard. And the first thing we would do when we get together to play night ball tag, someone would say, okay, what's the boundaries? What are the limits? How far can we go? You know, which neighbor's got a shotgun and comes out whenever someone's in their yard after dark when I'm playing their yard? Which, you know, how far can we go into the woods or past the woods or can we go in the woods at all? Things like that. Scripture talks about parenting in the light, in the light of boundaries, parameters that are set up. I want to kind of highlight just a few of those very briefly and very quickly. You can go and read the stories later and, take, and pick the principles out if you want to, but I'm going to just highlight a few of them. And they may surprise you a little bit. Scripture teaches us that when a baby is born into a family that the story remains the parent's story. In fact, even as the baby grows, becomes a teenager and a young adult, it's still the parent's story. From the story of Jacob and Joseph, when Joseph is in Egypt and serving in front of Pharaoh, it is actually Jacob's story that's being told. All of Joseph's story is contained with inside of Jacob's story. And then when Jacob arrives in Egypt, and as he grows to old age and he is trusting God and so on, Eventually, he sort of moves back out of the light and it becomes Joseph's story to a degree. So this story that's being told today, it's not really the child's story. It's part of the parent's story. However, these children can very much so pay the price for the actions of their parents inside their own story. 2 Samuel 12, David has sinned against God. And, the, and a child is born out of that sin. And Naaman comes to confront, I'm the prophet, Nathan, comes to confront David. And he's, David is told that the baby will die. That baby never did anything. That baby was innocent. That baby didn't sin against God. That baby was innocent. And yet, because of David's sin, the baby would die. So while the, the babies are inside the story of their parents, those babies, those children can very much, and we see this in very, very uh, real in the world today, those children can suffer because of the choices of their parents. 
And I submit to you that that extends to the immediate family. It extends to those who are influences in the lives of the child, which means it extends to the church. Preparing the child then becomes a huge and important step. Failure to prepare the child can actually bring about the end of the story of the adults in the life of the child. In the story of Moses, we know Moses, right? You may remember his story from Exodus 4. It, kind of sort of, it doesn't begin there by any means, but God calls him out of the burning bush and says, I want you to go into Egypt and call my people out of Egypt. But the part of the story that you may not remember is they, they pick up, he and his wife pick up and their, their baby, and they get ready to go into Egypt as commanded. And along the way, Moses meets God. Depending on your translation of the Bible, whether it's God in person, and the original text simply says God, but we know that angels represent God, or whether it was an angel. But anyway, he meets the opposition of God. After God calls him out and says, go and do this, go into Egypt and save my people and call them out of Egypt, he meets God, and God is going to kill him. God commissions him and says, go and do it. And mind you, he did make some excuses and so on. But God says, okay, now you're going to go and do it. And then he meets God, and God is going to kill him. And his wife quickly rushes, Zipporah, she quickly rushes to circumcise their child. And he, she throws the bloody foreskin of her child at the feet of Moses, and Moses is spared. Failure to prepare your child to have a relationship with God could bring an end to your story. Moses, the whole story, right? The ten plagues, the, the parting of the Red Sea, all of that's an amazing story. I mean, like some amazing actors have played Moses in amazing movies over the years. Amazing story. And all of it could have come to an end right there in the beginning if Moses and Zipporah had not prepared their baby for his relationship with God. One of the greatest steps that we're called to in the Bible is for our children to see us. Your child must see you. They probably see you in the midst of struggles. Eventually, as a parent, I have tried really hard not to let my children see me struggle. I don't talk to them about uh, some of the things that people say to me or do in my presence or the difficulties of certain things that I face. I do, unfortunately, for her, share that with my wife most of the time, but I don't share that with my children. And we have tried really hard not to let our children see us struggle. But the fact is, for all your efforts, they will eventually see you struggle. In Genesis 32, in the story of Jacob, Jacob wrestles with the angel all night long. And finally, he sent his entire family across the river, sitting over there, and the sun comes up, and they see him still wrestling, and he has not won. He is still in the midst of his struggles. And he knows they're about to see him in the midst of his struggles. He knows that they're going to see him having wrestled all night long and not having won. And instead of, the, and the angel entreats him and says, just let me go. It's fine. It's over. Just let me go. And Jacob says to the angel, no, I have not lost. Why shouldn't I win? And he continues to struggle. And he wins, in a sense. And God blesses him. But at the same time, the angel pinches his hip and he limps for the rest of his life. Our children will eventually see us struggling. The young people in our lives will see you going through difficulties. And whether or not you are able to say that even though I am in the midst of the greatest trial of my life, why shouldn't I win? Why shouldn't I continue? Why shouldn't I persevere? Why shouldn't I get up again this time? It is crucially important that a child see that you are able to get up when you fall down. Otherwise, we may breed children 
who think our lives are their story. We may end our story prematurely. Our children may pay the price for the things that we have done. And they may not learn to get up themselves when they face struggles. And they will. For the creation's groanings, the struggles of men, the sins of this world, they are a reality until Jesus comes again. This is the purpose for baby dedication. It is for us to remind ourselves, for us to entreat God and appeal to God and say, God, please, here you have blessed us for children, our heritage from the Lord, Psalm 127. Here you have given, despite what some people think, it is not man's choice whether children are born or not. It is God's choice. I know this very well. I have seen people who have tried and tried and tried and tried to have children and could not. And I've seen people who have tried and tried and tried not to have children and couldn't stop. It is God's choice. But we say, God, here is a child we recognize. She is our heritage from you. You have given her to us as a blessing. And we appeal to God to allow us to work within these parameters that he has set forth. To be a light to this child. To be a light to each other. To be his representative. And to prepare her, in this case, for a relationship with him. That's what baby dedication is all about. That's why we gather today to worship and honor God. Always, that's why we gather on Sunday but truly to worship and honor God and praise Him and to appeal to Him. To have His will on earth as it is in heaven, that His kingdom may come. And so we proceed then to dedicate Rayleigh Joe Gribble, her life and her times, which we fully understand are a part of Chris and Carrie's story and a part of our story. Unto God. At this time then, uh, we're going to have the family, the extended family, and the godparents come forward. And so if those of you are on the front row, you may want to move off the front row because they're going to be right in your face and you know, the governor might get upset. And then we're going to kind of gather from here over. There's a number of folks. You'll need your script if you don't have it. You'll need it at your seat, grab it. Okay, if you don't have a script, there are scripts out there. The goal is to make it through the script as readily as possible without having too many stops and miscues. Wherever you stand is fine. You're fine. They don't need me, other than I'm going to read. That's all they need from me. All right, but we can see, and we are blessed to see already, because it's not just those who are standing in the front, but it's everyone in this room that God has put together a pretty amazing team for Rayleigh Joe, and aren't we blessed? Okay, so I, I will begin to read. I'm going to read the part that says Pastor Dan. <laughs> the parents will read the part that says parents. If you're a member of the extended family, you will re read the part that says extended family. 
If you're a member of the congregation, that is those who are gathered here today, then you uh, would read that part. So that's everybody that's still in the chairs right now, whoever you may be. If you are the godparents, you will read together the part that says godparents, and then we'll kind of start again with me, okay? So right after I read, like a second later, we're going to start the next part, okay? It's especially hard if you happen to be the godparents, for example, because you kind of need to be together. So right after the congregation reads, as soon as they're done, there's a silence of like one second, and then you read, okay? And just in case anybody is uh, nervous about public speaking, this is being recorded, so <laughs> going out over the internet and all that good jazz. All right, here we go. Are we ready? Here we go. God has entrusted you with a magnificent responsibility. We lovingly accept this responsibility. We lovingly accept this responsibility as well. We will help you. We will help you as well. God has given you the gift of life. We will protect and nurture this gift. We will also protect and nurture this gift. We will help you. We will help you as well. God expects you to teach a child through the example of a godly life. We will strive to live lives consistent with God's word before our child. We will also strive to live lives consistent with God's word before her. We will provide godly examples before the child as well. We will also strive to live lives consistent with God's word before her. Very good. A child is like a clean slate. A child must learn right from wrong and how to hear the direction of God. We dedicate ourselves to the teaching of the ways of Christ and the love of his church to our child. We will assist you. We will assist you as well. We will assist you as well. Okay, and then we're going to pray. I'm going to reach in here. Okay, here we go. Pray with me. Father God, you have blessed us in a day where someone might look around and see darkness. We see light. We see love and mercy and kindness and grace. We see your patience with men. We see beauty. We see that all bundled up in Rayleigh Joe. We see your investment in our stories, your gift, and we praise you for it. We adore you, Heavenly Father, because you have loved us, because you have given, because it is what we are created for. Thank you, God. At the same time, we confess a life is a long time. We realize that this dedication, this effort, these steps that we're taking today and the promises that we've made, the commitments, that they are, they are very, very important. It's not like buying a house or even committing to ministry. It's more like committing to you. It's more like accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's... It's right up there with the most important things we've ever done. And the truth is, when we stop and think about how we might have to make difficult choices to protect Rayleigh from seeing something that we don't want her to see or that we don't understand or that she won't understand, that we might have to preserve her innocence 
through great effort that we might have to protect her from the wiles of this world. Lord, we know we need your help. We are entreating you today to bless this child and the people that would come on her behalf. Help us, God, to divorce ourselves, to, to, to just let go of those things that would hold us back from honoring these commitments. And we know we need your help. We thank you again for this beautiful gift and for the, the army of folks that you've put in this world who love this child and are willing to stand up for her. And we ask you, Lord, we ask you for our, for our nation, for our people, for people who are hurting, for people who are struggling. We ask you for ourselves and not in a selfish way, but we ask you, Lord, to let us represent you well in our lives, which you've now made Rayleigh Joe a part of. We ask you to bless her from the top of her head to the bottom of her toes, and that's a distance that will be growing for a long time. And with every breath and with every bit of growth, we pray that you'll, you'll fill her up, show her love, and give her strength. We pray for Carrie. We pray for Chris. We pray, Lord, for a Holy Spirit power to be the parents that they truly desire to be. And then we pray for the true desire to be the parents that your Holy Spirit can make them. Help us, God. We know that it's just what you want to do. And we're claiming your promises today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. You can be seated.
Praise God. I feel like the sermon's already been preached today. He's, he's been so good. Um, so we're going to do something a little bit differently. Something different I don't do very often. Uh, I don't know if I've ever done it before. In just a moment, I'm going to give you all three points of the sermon in advance. And so if, it, if somebody had to sneak out, they'd have the most important parts already taken care of. But we're going to do that in just a moment. First, I want to tell you a story that the Lord laid on my heart as I was looking at this passage of Scripture today. And I had totally forgotten about it. This is a true life experience. So when I was about uh, 11, 12 years old, my parents and I, my mother and my father, drove to Fort Wayne, Indiana. There used to be a mall in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, I don't know if it's still there or not. Uh, I know last time I was there, which was a good 15, 20 years ago, it did pretty well emptied out, so it may not still be there. Um, but in this day, it was still there. And it was a double-story mall. It was two stories. The mall had a lower story, which was partly underground, and a higher, and then came up to about, you know, five, six feet above ground, and then a higher story that was on top of that. And so, it even looked like two stories from the street. And in the middle of the mall, in the one part, was a, a skating rink. It had a huge skating rink in the middle of this mall, and around it was a food court, and tons of different kinds of food and stuff. And then around the mall, not in the mall or in the parking lot, but near the mall was a couple flea markets. And so we would drive to Fort Wayne, Indiana. And we would go visit the flea markets, and then we'd go to the mall, and we'd walk around the mall. It was cool. It was a really big mall. And, uh, we never skated in the skating rink, but we ate in the food court an awful lot. On this particular time, my parents and I went. I didn't take a friend along, which turned out to be a good thing. We were driving a little, uh, it was called a Horizon. The car was, it was a little hatchback car called a Horizon. Interesting thing about those Horizon hatchbacks is that they, in the middle of the transmission, as best of my understanding, I'm not a big automotive person, but in the middle of the transmission was a plastic gear. And at a certain number of miles, it was relatively common for that gear to go bad. And that's what happened to us. As we were arriving in Fort Wayne, Indiana that day at about uh, noon, 1 o'clock, something like that, on a Sunday afternoon, my parents did not do church. Uh, I, was, I didn't get saved until I was 25 years old. So this is a long time before that. And we arrived about noon on a Sunday, and already the car was acting up. And so we went all over town looking for a mechanic who could look at the car and figure out why it was acting up. We stopped at a bunch of different places, and lo and behold, this probably doesn't come as a real surprise to anybody, there were no mechanics open on Sunday at noon or 1 or 2 o'clock. And so we ate, and we skipped all the flea marketing and, and so on. And then about uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, my dad said, well, we're just going to, it could take us forever to get home at this rate because the car would only go so fast. And every time it would try to shift up out of second gear, uh, sometimes it would, sometimes it wouldn't, and then it would try to go out of third gear, it would never go out of third gear. So best you get into third gear, and every time you stop at a stoplight, you had that whole process repeating over again. So we're driving home, limping home from Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is a couple hour drive anyway, and we started at 3 o'clock. Come 9.30 at night, it's dark, and we're on the back road still about 45 minutes from home. And... We're driving down the back roads at about 15, 20 mile per hour. And I was a little bit of a mathematician even then. and had figured out that the roughly 45 miles away that we still were at 15 miles an hour, we were going to get home about 1 o'clock in the morning, except that it was only getting worse, constantly getting worse. And so by about 10 o'clock, the fastest the car would go was about 10 to 11 mile per hour. And, and it, it was basically second gear wasn't really working at that point. So in first gear, and, it was, and every time it would wind up, the... RPMs would wind up, you, the car would slow down, <laughs> and that's the way it would, would go. So about, about 10.30, 11 o'clock at night, we're still driving, still a good 
30, 40 miles from home still, you know, still. Uh, no, no, way, um, let me get my directions right, way west in Ohio. We, I think we made it into Ohio, but we were driving on a back road, couldn't get on the expressway, couldn't get on the turnpike, couldn't get it, because it's limping along at about 10 mile an hour. And we're driving along, and finally, stop at a stop sign, get ready to go again. And my dad stepped on the gas, and the car just would not go at all. It's going, you're going to make a humming noise, real kind of high pitch, inside the transmission or whatever. And it was going like two, three mile an hour. And right away, I calculated that. I said, Dad, at this rate, <laughs> we're going to get home tomorrow. We're not going to make it. I, I think it's only getting worse. And my dad's like, I, I know that. I know that. You think I know that? And they were stressed and they were arguing with each other. And I'm like, I'm just going to be quiet. So we're creeping along the road about two mile an hour at about 1230 in the morning. And we're driving and we see some lights on the side of the road and there's a an big open door and a bunch of cars sitting around the lights. I'm thinking we can stop there and you know, something, make, see if they got a phone, make a phone call, something. This is before cell phones. Well, I'm really dating myself. But anyway, um, lo and behold, we pull up alongside next to this and we're doing probably like one, two mile an hour in this car and I'm sitting in the back fuming because I can't say a word and I'm hungry. I haven't had anything to eat in like seven hours and, and I'm mad and... My dad's mad, my mom's mad, and she's burying her face on the side. She's not going to say nothing, and we're creeping along a couple of miles, and we come up, and here we go along the road, and we pull up, and I'm reading the sign on the building, and it says, mechanic. Creeping along, creeping along. My dad's just driving. Just driving along, and the sign says mechanic, and the lights are on. There's people in there working on cars. I'm going like, and I'm afraid to say anything, you know what I'm saying? So he's driving along about two mile an hour, and... He was going to drive right by the mechanic. I mean, like, he was not going to pull into the park. And we're, like, we're passing the driveway. And as we're passing the driveway, at, like, two mile an hour, a tow truck comes up to the front. And I'm thinking, like, if we don't talk to the guy now, then, you know, he's just going to be towing us from a few miles down the road anyway. And he pulls up and he stops. And there goes my dad. He's going to drive right past the tow truck. And so the tow truck pulls out on the side of the road. On the road, it's on the, we're basically driving on the brim, you know. What I mean, not even on the actual road because we're going so slow. And he pulls over, and he's he, the passenger rolls down the windows. Two guys in the tow truck, and the the tow truck driver says to my dad, he says, "Do you need help?" And my dad says, "No." And my mom hit him, my dad. It was the only time I ever seen my mom hit my dad. She hit, actually he physically hit him in the side of the head, and he went ah, and he looked at her with anger, and then he realized. What he had just done, and 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 my dad said that the tow truck driver. So I think it's the transmission is going out, and, and the tow, tow truck driver kind of laughed. He goes, "Yep, but I think you're right." <laughs> and he said, "He said well, we're right here, and we're about 25 feet past the driveway to the mechanics. We're right here." He said, uh, "We'll help you get turned around, and um, and you just need to get in there." And so we pulled in there, and they they kept the car, and they drove us home. They took in the in uh, another vehicle. They drove us home, dropped us off at home, and they kept the car. And they were going to fix the car. And oh, about wow, I don't know Thursday or Friday of that week. Um, they actually uh, actually it was like Tuesday of that week. They said we can't actually fix it. It's going to go to the dealer. So we are going to tow it to the dealer for you, and then the dealer will fix it. And then like Thursday or Friday of that week, it was actually fixed, and we got the car back for the next weekend. And we did not go to Fort Wayne that weekend. Um, in fact, we didn't go to Fort Wayne for months, maybe years after. I can't remember how it was a long time anyway, because that trip to Fort Wayne became almost like a nightmare for us. I want you to bear that in mind then as we look at the text of Scripture today. I do want to tell you that you're jumping into a sermon series, and I had prayed about it. I thought about some, some folks are not going to be are going to be here who haven't been with us today. And so I, I want to explain to you that the author of Hebrews, as we read the chapter 11, the author of Hebrews today, 
he's not just writing about the faith that you're familiar with from Sunday school class when you were a little kid or that, you know, the first time you ever heard about it. Um, this is faith after you've been saved. This is faith after you have accepted the fundamentals of Christianity, okay? So that's really all you need to know, and then you've not missed anything. If you want to listen to the sermon series, they are online. You can listen to them. But um, I'm going to give you all the points of the sermon now. I promised you I would do that. I'm going to do that. And then we're going to go into the text. And the reason I'm going to do that is because as we go through the text, you're going to see the points constantly throughout the text. And I may or may not be able to remind you every time they come up. I probably won't. Uh, so I want you to just be able to do that yourself and see them. Okay. So the first thing is that not yet seen things are motivators. So people who think something good is coming up, they get motivated about that good thing, right? So kids who are six, uh, teenagers who are six months away from graduation, they're like, yay, I'm going to graduate. Um, people are saving up money for a car and they're getting close. Like, yay, I'm going to get a car, right? So not yet seen things are motivators, okay? I think that's a fairly obvious truth, but it really speaks a lot in the, when I'm talking about faith. The second thing is the passage says, faith or else. But it's not quite simple, not quite that simple. It says faith or else. And because it's faith or else, we just have to deal with what comes. Right? So faith or else. And then the last one is the, is, is the then building block. As we, as we make our decisions, as we fundamentally build our lives, there is a building block called then. Okay? And I want you to see it. All right. So. Usually we hoot, we holler, we say amen. You, if you can just kind of shake off some of your uh, um, restrictions a little bit for a second. This is uh, God's word, and when we go to it and read it, we will be changed if we allow it to be so. So maybe you give me some kind of noise as we go to Hebrews chapter 11. Amen. Thank you. I wasn't kidding. We actually do do that here. So uh, people thought, I don't think they do that. But yeah, we actually do. So this is God's word. Here we go. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I want you to understand, if somebody ever asks you to define faith, don't define it that way. That is not a definition of faith. Those are characteristics of faith. Faith is basically believing. That's what faith is, very simply put. But this faith that takes place after a person is already saved is the assurance of things hoped for, and conviction of things not yet seen. We know what we know. We know where we're going because of this faith. Verse 2. For by it the men of old gained approval. God said, you're doing a good job because they had faith. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. See, this is an equation that mostly the world doesn't understand. Most of what you see was actually made out of something that you could never have seen. You follow that logic? In the beginning, God created everything, and he made it out of nothing. Ex nihilio. There was nothing. He created everything. And then, by the way, after, or before, I should say, one of the first things he created, I should say, was light. So before there was light, you couldn't see anything, even if there had been anything, but there wasn't anything. Right? You understand, we see by light. So there wasn't anything to see. So literally everything that we're seeing today was made out of nothing. So if everything that we're seeing today was made out of nothing, then it's reasonable to expect that there are other things that could be made out of nothing, right? That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained the testimony that was righteous, God testifying about his gifts and through faith Though he is dead, he still speaks, talking about 
able, right? Continuing on. By faith, Enoch, that's an old guy in the Old Testament who never died. Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. So it is possible to please God, you follow, right? That is a possible thing. And without faith, it is impossible to please God or to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So in other words, you have to believe that God exists and you have to believe that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. And if you can't believe that God exists and you can't believe that God rewards those who seek him, then that means you don't have faith, right? And if you don't have faith, then you can't please God. It's a, it's a circle. You can't actually do it if you don't even believe that he exists. It's very simple. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, here we are with the not yet seen things, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world, and he became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So not the city that he was living in, not another city somewhere else on the earth, but he was looking for something then, something that he couldn't see on this earth. He was believing in a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Verse 11, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore also there was born of one man and him as good as dead, I think it's funny how they call Abraham as good as dead. That, was, that verse always kind of makes me chuckle because he was old enough that he, could, he really couldn't have children anymore. But he was as good as dead, but God gave him another son. That's just, that cracks me up. And him as good as dead at that. As many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. That, the seashore, that which is given to Abraham was described as that. Descendants innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Verse 13. All these, all these people that we're just so far discussing, died in faith without receiving the promises. Say we're looking for something then. They were looking for something not yet seen. But having seen them, the promises, and having welcomed them from a distance, so they saw, they believed it was coming, and they welcomed their coming even though they never received them. And having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. They could have gone back where they were. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You see, if you are looking for something here on earth, if you're waiting for God to do something here on earth, your target is off. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. A lot of times we're waiting for God to do something here on earth. Talk about people would pray for healing and believe for healing, right? Believe and receive and you'll get the healing, right? If you're waiting for something here on earth, that's not the target. 
that was Abraham's target. That's not what he was looking for, right? He wasn't looking for something here on earth. Now, God blessed him here on earth, but why did he bless him here on earth? Because he was not looking for something here on earth. He was looking for the city whose architect is God, right? Verse 7, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offered, offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. So Isaac was the one that God had told Abraham would be, he would be the one that all the people would arise out of, right? He was the, the heir of promise. And yet, Abraham was willing to sacrifice him. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. So in a way, he's saying, in a way, he received him back from the dead, but he really didn't because he didn't have to die in order and be resurrected. Verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel. See, he, he said, in time, it's going to come. You're all going to go out and go back to the land that God has promised. So he told them, don't you bury my bones here in Egypt, is what he's saying. And he gave orders concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The Pharaoh was having all the male children killed and they hid Moses, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. There, there it is for sure, very clearly said in verse 25. 26, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through the dry lands and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Okay, so now we're going to kind of get a little bit of a, a summation here and we're going to start to talk about the darker side of the same thing. Okay, and we've just got to, we're almost done. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, or David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, here we go, not accepting their release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection, and others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground, and all those having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised. You hear that? Everything they did. We like to do things for the result, don't we? Everything they did, they did for a future city that they could not yet see, and they did not receive the promise in their lifetime. 
All that, all that suffering, the, the sawing, the, the, the lack of proper clothing, or so we would say, they probably were pretty much okay with goat skin and sheep skin, but the bottom line is they didn't, they didn't have during this lifetime and they waited on God. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. And here's why. Because God had provided something better for us. So that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. See, it's not that we'll be made perfect that that's what's better. That's not what's better, right? It's better that we'll be made perfect than that we won't be made perfect. It's not better for them that we would be made perfect. It's better for us that we would be made perfect. They would be made perfect. And now this is what's even better, that we also can be made perfect with them through this faith that God is calling us to. Just three verses left. The author of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. You hear it now? The not yet seen things, they are motivators. We are motivated by what we want the results to be. We plan for it, plot for it, work for it, pile into it, and try to get there because that's what motivates us, the unseen things, that we have an inkling of where we may be going. Paul said, press toward the goal. We have a job to do in this lifetime. It is not to build ourselves a kingdom to get people to look to us. It is not to be better off, to do better, to have better health, to have better money. That is not our job. Our job is to prepare for a future kingdom coming, the architect of which is not us, but God. You cannot imagine the house that you might get to live in in heaven. You could live in the best house you would ever live in. You could work your butt off to make sure you got three-quarter inch copper plumbing in every bathroom. I had that once, by the way, and the water would run hot in all three bathrooms. I didn't put it there. It was there well before me. But the bottom line is you can do that. You can get bay windows. You can get skylights. You can get towers and castles and walls and servants. I was watching a show last night. They said, here's, here's the duke and the duke's cousin and the duke's mother. And then they went, and all their servants went, boop, 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 boop. and there were 250 servants all around taking care of their, their house in, in um, 100 years ago, England. You can get all of that. And it will by no means, in no way, compare which, with that which God is trying to prepare for you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you there to be with me. Our job is not to build a better kingdom on earth. It is not to live better. It is not to fix the problems that we perceive. You don't get to go out and, and push people to be what you want them to be. You can entreat people to come to God. You can share the gospel and the truth and the hope and the faith and the mercy and the love and the forgiveness that is available through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And nothing, nothing at all is really going to change a person permanently except for an experience with the living Savior. Our job is not to seek out the things that... Hang on. I said we're motivated by the things we don't yet see, right? And I mentioned graduation. I mentioned a bigger house. I mentioned a car, right? Those are all things that we don't yet see, except guess what? When we're motivated by them, 
we actually do see them, right? I mentioned six months before graduation, a high school senior going, yeah, I'm going to graduate. It's because they actually do see that, isn't it? That they're motivated by it. Now, God is asking us not to be motivated by earthly goals or steps that we can take, but rather to be motivated by that which we cannot see. It, why do you think we're not supposed to make a picture of heaven? Because there's no picture of heaven that would ever represent what God is truly doing. It's beyond our imagination. We can imagine what it will be like two years from now, five years from now, when we get promoted on our job, our wages are better, we're prepared for retirement. We'll imagine what it will be like when we don't have to get up and go to work anymore. We can serve the Lord every day of the week. Or we can just sit in our garden and sip our tea. or All these wonderful things that we can imagine. But you can't imagine what God is doing for you. You can't. You say, well, I know God is helping me. God is giving me strength. God is making me a better person each day. I do things now I could never do before. Yes, but if you look back at your Christian life, how often have you gone and you said, well, I'm not going to tell this lie now so that in a few weeks from now I'll avoid telling that lie then. That's, that's hard to do because you don't even know what the circumstances are going to be in a few weeks, right? You don't know how you're going to avoid doing something that you shouldn't do in a few weeks. You just have to make the decision now. There is just exactly one ingredient left just exactly one ingredient left in God's recipe of your eternity. And it is your today. God is asking you to live in light of that which you cannot see then, that he is building everything and taking care of it. And he's asking you to chip in the one thing that you have that he wants for that recipe. And that is your today. He wants you to make your today about the things that you cannot yet see. And that's what they did. And they were found pleasing. They were applauded by God. And yes, some of them were sawn in two. And yes, some of them were poor. And yes, some of them were sick. And yes, some of them received their dead back to life. God is asking us to make our today about the things that we cannot yet see. And when we do that, our today is added in the recipe of the eternal project, if you will, that he has for us. But it's faith more else. You see, they received back their dead, the, the healings that took place, all the things that they did and all the being found pleasing by God. It was all based on their faith because they believed God. They took God at his word. God said, I'm going to do this. And they said, okay, I believe you and I am going to live as if you are going to do that. So for example, if I say God is going to prepare an amazing place for you, then you shouldn't have to fuss or worry so much about the color of carpet or exactly the way things look or exactly the neighborhood that, you're, that God wants you to live in or, or your certain circumstances, right? Because God is going to prepare the right place for you. And the truth is, no matter what you do and how hard you work at it, the things that you make right here and right now, they're always going to be flawed because they're made out of things that you can see. They're made out of creation, which is struggling, waiting for redemption, waiting for Jesus to come again. Believe or else. Believe or else, lose out. Believe or, or have your story not equal someone that joins the witnesses. What would the witnesses say? And remember there was such a cloud of witnesses. What have they said to us? Well, they have said, I believed and God took care of it. I believed the promises and the promises were held in reservation, yes, so that you two could believe, so you two could come into it, but they were ultimately fulfilled. The witnesses would say to you, be motivated by the not yet seen things, the things that you can't even really imagine. 
Be motivated by faith. Believe in God and trust in God. The then building block is a little bit more tricky. It's a little bit harder to use. You've got to think about who you were before you met Jesus Christ. You've got to think about the hole that was in your heart that nothing could fill. You've got to think about the things that you did that were wrong. Now, God doesn't use regret. I'm not talking about regret and I'm not talking about guilt. But if you can imagine that you made a transition from who you were before you met Jesus to who you are now that you have met Jesus, assuming you have met Jesus, that's an inkling. That gives you an idea of the awesome nature of the transition that is next coming when Jesus comes again or when we go to heaven. Say, I was lost. When I was 24 years old, um, my wife and I were young couple and I wasn't very good to her. I wasn't a very good man in general. I was a manipulator and a liar. And I would have been a thief, but I was too afraid to steal anything. <laughs> I was afraid of a lot of people. I was afraid of talking to strangers. I would go to a restaurant and I would order a sandwich and I'd be afraid to order it without mayo, which I just absolutely hated. So then I just wouldn't go to a restaurant and order a sandwich. The reason I was afraid to order is because I was afraid of what that person working, making minimum wage behind the counter would think of me if I ordered my sandwich without mayo. I've been changed. Am I complete? No. Has everything been fixed about me? Do I still make mistakes? Yes. But I know that a transformation has taken place. I've begun a journey on a road that's going somewhere. <laughs> and if you have done so as well, then how can you not today trust that the transition that God is going to do, the promised coming of Christ, the moment that the trump shall, shall sound and the church shall go to be with Jesus, that heaven is revealed in its final construction, that the new heavens and the new earth are the final thing. How can you not expect that to be, albeit outside our understanding, absolutely incredible? And if it is, then that thought, the nature of what it just might be like, has to figure in your decision-making process today. It's called the then building block. Then it will never be like that anymore. Or then it will always be like that. Right? The next time you're in true sorrow, you're broken over having lost a loved one, or you're broken over having lost a situation, or somebody really cut you to the quick that you thought you could trust, we say, oh, now what am I going to do? Right? And we go into mourning and we're recovering and we're working through it and hopefully you're entreating God to help you to work through it and you're step by step working through the process until you can be whole enough again to begin to function in your life again. But don't do that without the then building block. That's when you remember that when we get there, it will never be like that again. No more sorrow. Even if there should be a reason to cry, God himself will wipe away your tears. When you're struggling and you're working and you're in pain and your body's failing you or, you're, or you just, you're not strong enough to lift it or you're not strong enough to stay up and do it or whatever it is, realize that there's coming a moment in time in heaven where all of that is gone. What we're facing today, when we don't like it, it is to remind us that when we get there, it's not going to be like here. We're not going to face it. God forbid... I hate that hundreds of thousands of people have died in the pandemic. 
I hate it. It sucks. But so does God. God hates it too. But like, that's not, God let it happen, right? Now, God can't hate it because He let it happen. No, it's the groanings of creation awaiting Jesus coming again. And it's only been allowed to happen because God is patient that all men might come to repentance. We are suffering. Our, they were suffering then. Jacob, one of the fathers of the faith is named here, lived during the worst drought in the Middle East history so that he sent his sons to Joseph to buy food because everybody, literally everyone was starving, but they had money because God had taken care of them. So they sent silver to buy food in one of the worst droughts to ever hit the Middle East. And no, but it says for five more years, there would be no rain and no one would eat. And obviously they had things that they could eat, but they couldn't eat anything that they could grow. And that was the sustenance. That was their livelihood. But Jacob was the, they, God named him Israel. He was the child of God. He was the, to found the nation of Israel. He shouldn't have had any suffering, right? No, everyone is going to suffer because we live in a, a failing creation. The question is not whether or not we're going to suffer. The question is, what are we going to do with the suffering? Are we going to build a then component into working through what we're going through today? And we come to the conclusion. And the conclusion is simply that question. What do the witnesses say? In the court of appeals over whether or not you can have faith in the worst hours of your life, the witnesses say this, I had faith in the worst hours of my life and it worked. It paid off. God brought me home. God gave me a child when I believed there was no way and he said I would. I just trusted him and he gave it to me. God raised my so-and-so from the dead. I died in the pit. I died sawn in two. I died hung on a cross. I died burned alive. But in a moment, I was transported from that instant, that horrible experience, into a bliss that was well worth it. I preached a sermon about uh, a couple months ago called Almost Done. This is the paradigm that Jesus has set up. He put the church and all those who trust in Him, all of God's people, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and live for Him going forward, then He put you at the moment in time, forever at the crux, on the edge, at the precipice, almost done but done comes after almost done, and we all want done. We dream about it. The fact is we lust after it. We want it. We want it to be nice. We want it to come together. We want it to stop being a problem. We want the person to, that we love to say exactly what we want them to say. We want the doctor to give the right rendering, etc. That's what we want. We're living in almost done, not done. And we'll be in heaven if we've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If we believe that He was God's Son, that he died on the cross to pay for our sins and that God raised him from the dead. He has right to be saved. It means he paid the price. He has right to be Lord. It means he tells us what to do. If we believe that, then we will be done. And that knowledge, that forehand knowledge, that gift to you, that gift to me of knowing that we will be done, that's the then component. Maybe you're here today and you're in a really rough spot. You've been through some stuff. Maybe someone put you in the spot. Maybe you put yourself in the spot. Maybe you're looking at the world going, holy cow, what is even going on? So many people, so much violence, so much sickness, so much chasing after money, 
And a lot of it gets swept under the rug and then thrown up in our faces all of a sudden and it comes like a surprise. Oh, holy cow, what is that? Did you know that in 2019, before the pandemic ever came, that in our nation, tens of thousands, almost 100,000 people died of opiate overdoses? While we're all pretty freaked out by the number of people that have died to, to COVID-19, I was a little freaked out by the number of people that died to opiate overdoses. We had a young man, 15 years old, walking home from Madhouse one night, walking down the Main Street, because they, they walk in from all over the neighborhood to come to youth group, and he was walking down Main Street, and a car stopped in the middle of the intersection, and him and his friends went out to see what was going on. There's a guy, and there's a guy sitting in the front seat in the middle of the Star and Main intersection, Star and East Broadway intersection, overdosed on opiates. He'd been, he was driving his car. And that's when it hit him. And he's sitting there overdosing openings. And they called the police and the police came and the ambulance came and they gave the guy the, the shot and, and he, his life was saved. But listen, it's not somewhere else. Evil is not somewhere else. Suffering is not somewhere else. Difficulty is not somewhere else. It's right here. And if you are looking at what you can see, imagining things getting better, imagining things being okay, imagining things being all right, then you're actually kind of kidding yourself is what you're actually doing. What you really need to look at are the things that you can't see. The world will tell you you need to look at the things that you can't see. Deal with what's right in front of you. But God says just the opposite. Look at what you can't see. I know where you want to be. I know what you want to do for the rest of eternity. I know where you don't want to be for the rest of eternity and I can get you there, says God. I have paid the price. I've taken care of it. Build into your life the then component. What that's going to be like then. Realize when you're suffering, when you're struggling. When you're, when you're saying something that's not nice. When you're hurting someone else. You're just a product of the struggling of creation. You're giving in to be the kind of person that you should never be because in that moment, instead of thinking about the then component, you're thinking about getting what you want right now. God is asking us to trust Him. Not just with our salvation. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to do that. But then after that, because we're still going to live here until it's over, until it's actually done, He's asking you to trust Him with your every day. And think about how the not seen things, how the things you can't see, the things that you can't understand, the things that you can't get there by using Google Maps or whatever the iCloud version is. Jesus will take you there. He got there. Oh, and just on a side note, how did he get there? He died on a cross. But somehow we think we're better than him. Like we're going to avoid that. And get there anyway. Gratefully, we probably will not die on a cross. But if Jesus doesn't come again first, we will die. And if you're going to get mad on the day that your car breaks down, if you're going to get upset on the day that you don't have the money that you want, if you're going to get upset on the day that your relationship doesn't quite go the way you want it to, how's the day you're going to die going to go? The day when you're literally on the doorstep to the mansion that Jesus has prepared for you, Will you be fussing and throwing a fit? I hope not. Because then, the then will be really close. Maybe it's closer than we think. I ask you today, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, listen to these witnesses. Listen to God and His Holy Spirit and the love that He has for you. And that He did everything to bring you into relationship with Him. It's all done. That part's done. 
accept that and say, okay, God, I accept the salvation that you paid for for me. I accept you as Lord of my life. And I know I'll probably screw up, but I'll, I'll trust you to teach me when I do. And then every day, add the then component. He's taking me there. He's taking me then. And if you're already a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, I'm asking you to live not for the house that you would build or that the rich man could build or that the church could build, but only for the house that God can build. I'm going to pray with you briefly and then we'll have the praise team come and lead us in a song of invitation and final hymn of our service. Father God, how easy it is to fall under the flood these days. Pressed to either, A, think this creation is so messed up, how can God be in charge? How can God let that happen? Or what am I going to do? To feel hopeless and despair because of so much pressed on us in this day. Or, to say we're going to take it in our own hands and we're going to fix it. We're going to make it right. We're going to raise our voices. Or if necessarily get, necessary, get violent. Or withdraw, pull back, push people away. Or say just the right thing or do just the right thing to make everyone around us know that we are right. And when I listen to the witnesses of Scripture those who have the favor of God, those who are called pleasing to God. I hear that neither one of those methods are the method that you would have us to live by, but rather that we would today submit this day and our choices into your hands, that we would live always, even, even with your Holy Spirit in us, showing us more than we ever knew before. We could live knowing that there are things that we don't know yet and that the things that we truly desire will be made out of that which we do not see. Lord, we want to believe. Help us with our unbelief. If there is someone here today who has not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they know, they've heard the story. They know that Jesus died on the cross, rose again on the third day. They know that he claimed to be God in the flesh. And that he backed that up with miracles and teachings of such authority that no one would deny it except for those who truly wanted to stand against him. They know that story. But maybe they haven't said, okay, God, I surrender. I submit. I turn away from who I was and I turn only to you so you can take care of it. I pray, Lord, that they'll do that or that they already have. And that they'll make it public. That they'll boldly say that I'm living for my God and the future that he has prepared for me, not myself. And making today better. And Father, if there's somebody here who would say, I already am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believed, and so I got saved, and so everything's settled. I pray, Lord, that they would let you show them wherever it is in their life, wherever it is in my life, 
that we need to trust you and, and proceed with diligence as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to be found faithful even through suffering and trials. <clears throat> to add the then component to our thinking every now. Help us, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Ask the praise team to come forward at this time. We're going to have a closing hymn. This is the closing hymn of our service, but it's also an opportunity for you to respond. If you feel like the Lord has spoken to your heart, you need to say something, you can just get my attention by raising your hand right where you're at. You don't actually have to walk forward to the room, in front of the room. Uh, or if you want to, you can. Right here, there really is no front of the room. You just kind of all face one direction because it's more convenient that way. So wherever you are, that's where God's working. If he speaks to you, then you let us know that, and we'll let you speak in a moment after we sing, okay? Would you, if you're comfortable and able to do so, would you stand and sing this song with us and let the Lord work in your heart <clears throat> as you sing.
quick, a couple of uh, housekeeping things. There is a football game for the five to ten year olds, play football team 